Nightlight, a horror movie podcast. I'm your host, Prince, also known as Head Knight. Alongside me, we got none of the ghoulish nights for this evening. Well, none of the main ones, right? Freddy's sick. David, it was a little too short notice for him. But all in all, we do have a special guest who will be joining me tonight. But we are still a group of knights with an absolute love for film and a passion for horror. This is a podcast that takes a different horror film to break down and discuss the ultimate question. Why horror? So with the lights, sit back and let the darkness envelope you. If you like that and want extra horror content, head over to patreon.com slash nightlightpod. That's night with a K. Now, before we even discuss the movie that we're going to be discussing tonight, I want to welcome my guest, Reina Cervantes. What is going on, my friend? Hello, hello, hello. Thank you for having me on as an honorary night this evening. Of course. Absolutely. I'm I'm super stoked to have you back on the show. For those who don't don't know, Raina was actually on the show previously as well, back last June, um, for our Pride Month. And it was like our Pride Horror Month or Horror with Pride. I forgot what we called it, but that was a fantastic month. Raina was a part of our Knife Plus Heart episode, which was fantastic. I felt like that was a Raina-ass movie for sure. And it was perfect for you to be on. <laughs> 100%. As someone who like grew up and one of their favorite movies of all time was Cruising, that was an honor to cover with you guys. Oh, hell yeah. <laughs> Amazing. Well, we're super stoked to have you back. But Raina, you've been busy, dude. Talk to me about some of the stuff you got going on. Tell, like, tell, tell me a little bit of what you got going on in your life right now. All right. So just a quick recap since the last time I've been here. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I ended up working from Netflix and getting laid off from Netflix. Um, Which you story, had a fantastic column, though, for Netflix. I mean, it, it was some cool shit. And you got to interview a lot of cool people. <laughs> yeah, a lot of it was like a promoting their horror output and i was there around the time of the premiere of the new texas chainsaw so i got to promote that very heavily um so rad and then the layoff happened i just been kicking around uh doing my contributions to bloody disgusting and fangoria um i ended up starting a new pod that you guessed it on called windsor film club where we cover horror and cult films yeah but but unfortunately, logistics aren't making that as like common as I like it to be. So uh, me and one of the other hosts, Madison, um, were spinning off something new, uh, a Batman-focused podcast uh, titled The Bat Shit Pod. <laughs> fantastic name. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it, it like kind of stemmed from an inside joke of Windsor Film Club because we always joked that no matter what movie we were talking about, we always ended up talking about the Robert Pattinson Batman movie. So it's like, well, why so don't we good. just, why don't we just do something Batman related and just cover everything like comics, TV, movies, all things Dark Knight? And I mean, uh, it's fucking endless. Like the yeah. amount of stuff that you can cover for that. Oh, yeah. No joke. I have a bookshelf in my room just dedicated to only Batman books. That's so cool. Um, so I, I I don't know much about Batman, so I'm like actually legit curious about this because I, I don't know much about Batman at all. So like <laughs> I, I one of my favorite Batman stories that I haven't even technically read myself. I just 
like the aspect behind it and I've read like snippets of it but uh the Robin King like that I've, I oh. love that story so much and I I, it, I think it's part of the the death metal series um it is but, yes yeah so like I I find that one to be so fucking cool and I would love to see that as a movie <laughs> well what's so funny what's funny is that like uh, on an episode of Windsor Film Club that we did with Lucy James from uh, GameSpot and Giant Bomb. Oh, I love Lucy. Yeah, she's awesome. I, I love her so much. Um, But she came on to talk about Watchmen. And, uh, oh, cool. And it eventually devolved into like, let me explain how insane these DC comics get eventually. And one of the things <laughs> that brought up was uh, metal and death metal. And it was like, uh, oh. And then my co-host Madison was like, oh, you could just talk about that all day, can't you? <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm glad that you have this show so you can finally do that. That's fucking amazing. When does that come out? Uh, we're going to debut it in October. We're aiming for October That's 3rd true. right now. Got it. Okay, so technically in this month that we're in currently. Okay, perfect. So awesome. Mm -hmm. So please... By all means, we'll put it in the show notes as well. So for everyone to connect with uh, Raina as well, we'll be putting Raina's Twitter in there as well. So by all means, if you want to connect more with Raina, please do so because she's doing a lot of cool shit right now. But we're also here to discuss a little film. But before we even discuss this film, I want to give a very special shout out to our ghoulish knights over on patreon.com slash nightlightpod. That's night with a K. Lizzie, Josh, Vaughn. Alexis, Johnny, Layla, Eric, Kelly, Brenna, Daniel, Cheyenne, Carrie, Stu, Brandon, Anna, Stephanie, Calvin, Drew, also known as the Silent Knight, Andrew, Scary Stuff Podcast, Samantha, Patrick, uh, Willow, Jessica, Jared, Jasmine, Chantal, Rio, Jesse, Joe, Kaylee, Rob, and last but certainly not least, Freddie. Thank you all so much for allowing us to continue this show, keeping the lights on, keeping our producer fed, being able to turn on the good night sign inside of our office. That is all because of y'all. So thank y'all so much for allowing us to do this. Seriously, we wouldn't be able to do this stuff without you. So very, very, very much appreciate this. Thank you. But the film that we are going to be covering tonight for a brand new month this month being specific to uh horror films that are going to be based on haunted houses coined there's something in the house starting with the amityville horror specifically from 2005 first and foremost reina thoughts Ooh, like about amityville horror in general general or this movie in general <laughs> This movie in general. I, I would say that in the era that was most known for horror remakes rather than original horror movies, I would say this is one of the better horror remakes. I agree. I um, definitely agree. This is, a, this is a movie that has a very particular um, style, very mid-2000s. Um, like, <laughs> very mid-2000s. It, it's a thing like you know what I mean, right? It's like it's a thing you can't describe, but when you see it on screen, you're like, oh yeah, it, it's one of those movies. Oh yeah, absolutely. <laughs> it it I'm very much with you because this is one of those films when Ryan Reynolds was still kind of considered a B actor. 
in some ways. Like, I mean, he wasn't doing a lot of hot shit around this time. This was like his National Lampoon phase. Yeah, yeah. Oh, shit. Van Wilder. I completely forgot about that. (laughs) Yeah, Van Wilder came out a year before this. Uh, I want to say maybe during the same time, he was also in Harold and Kumar. He was the nurse in Harold and Kumar. So, like, he was in that. Yeah, so it's like, this was around his phase where he was just like, we're trying to find the Ryan Reynolds mold here. And now I feel like it's just, he's stuck. I mean, he's Ryan Reynolds, right? So it's just like, he, he, every role he does, it's the same. But like, (laughs) this, this movie, I pleasantly surprised. I like this movie for what it is and, um, for the time that it is. I think this (laughs) movie, though, is definitely like a two parter type of film in some ways where act one and two are completely a different movie from act three. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah. It like it shit just kind of hits the fan in the, in the end right there. <laughs> Seriously. It's, it's such a different movie. Uh, Cause like in act one and two, it is very much a possession haunted house movie. And when the possession actually happens in act three, you're starting to get into native Americans that were, fucking tortured and killed and enslaved and a guy who like wait whoa hold the fuck up where's this folklore coming from (laughs) like (laughs) holy shit so like for for me i'm not the fan biggest fan of the ending or act three of this movie i am i'm i'm just not jump scare after jump Mm -hmm. scare it hits us with but act one and two i think this movie is so fucking solid like I it just if it would have just ended after act two and didn't give us anything else, no resolution, I would have been happy with that. <laughs> See, when you said two parter, I almost thought you were gonna say like, oh, it's a movie that should have been told in two parts. And now in my brain, I'm like, oh, well, what if they did have time to like it fully explore things in a sequel? Yes. I agree. Like if if it, if they would have had time to really massage this movie and like make this movie even fuck it i'll say it an extra 30 minutes like to really (laughs) massage that that tell end story even though i feel like the whole native american thing i feel like that is such a fucking cop out like i'm just like it's come on it's aged very poorly too like that aspect absolutely and i'm Uh. just like it's it's a sour taste in my mouth and rightfully so like it's it's such a in very very poor taste to include that in this film to go back to your point though about massaging yeah. the movie it's it's interesting because i felt like that was a problem that a lot of these horror movies and in particular horror remakes had in the mid 2000s yeah is that I they agree. try to overstuff and overblow their movies like in one go yeah that makes a lot of sense i mean if we think about like the remakes that did come during this time i mean we had halloween rob zombies halloween uh we had friday the 13th we had them all actually and friday the 13th we kind of we redid like certain things with predator and then we have freddy versus jason and then we had nightmare on elm street which is probably the one the most that people probably think of when it comes to adding too much even though i'm I personally think Rob Zombie's Halloween added too much, but Halloween 2 from Rob Zombie, to me, is the better Halloween from his his set. But that's just my personal opinion. But, like, 
when I think about the, those aspects, I think that with this movie in particular, it was enough time. I mean, granted, there were a bunch of Amityville horror movies, and there still is, and they're still making them, and they they need to stop. But with them <laughs> still making these movies, it's interesting because of the fact that with Amityville horror, this is the only one I feel like that has a true concise story that besides the first one which the first one in my opinion is so abysmally boring <laughs> i mean it's probably it's probably it's very I, slow I'm, it's very slow very slow and in my opinion this movie is better if i had to rank them this would be number one um although the, there was one recently that came out that i'm blanking out on the name of but i think it came out like either earlier this year or last year um that was so bad that it was good kind of thing don't don't but was it amityville in space i think so i think so because there was definitely space in it (laughs) and it was so bad and i loved it (laughs) oh Um, you you need to watch the 90s sequels (laughs) you know i i i think the one that i watched of the 90 sequels was probably Amityville curse. I think, I think that was the only Ooh, one yuck. I watched where it was the guy who was like, I think it was with Kim Coates. Um, and I, it was the, I think he like hung himself in the movie. I can't remember, but like, I, that was the only one I think I, I watched, but like, so there is so one many that was, there is one that was done in the nineties from the director of Hellraiser two. And, uh, it's about a possessed clock. It's about a clock from the Amityville house that they take to a house in California. It's so good. (laughs) (laughs) It's fun. Is it? Oh, wait, wait, wait. I think I know that one. Is that the Amityville? I think it was just called Amityville 1992. Wasn't it? Yeah. 1992 colon. It's about time. Oh God! That's so. Tony Randall did that one, right? Yes, that is correct. He directed that. Tony Randall did one of my like he wrote one of my favorite Godzilla movies, which is Godzilla '85. But yeah, oh, I that's neither. I didn't even know he wrote that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Tony Randall's right. Holy shit! Um, but yeah, I mean, we can go on and on and on about this, which is why we should probably jump into the film and actually talk about it. <laughs> Yeah, that would be probably be a good idea. <laughs> probably. The Amityville Horror 2005 specifically. Directed by Andrew Douglas, released April 15th, 2005, runtime of 1 hour and 30 minutes with a budget of 18 million dollars in a box office, surprisingly, of 107.5 million dollars. I think this is because this was the most mainstream Amityville horror movie since the first one. So a lot of people Mm -hmm. didn't know that there was like 15 other movies before it. (laughs) Yeah. um, I remember like a lot of my family went to the midnight showing of this movie at our local movie theater. Wow. Holy shit. I I don't think I saw this one in theater, but I I wish I would have because I feel like this would have been a really fun viewing experience. Yeah. I didn't see it until it hit DVD at Hollywood Video like later that year. Yeah, I think about the same for me. I think this one, this might have been one of my bootleg ones. <laughs> I think I might have bootlegged <laughs> this one. <laughs> you Appreciate the shit. honesty. You didn't hear shit. I didn't do shit. 
rating of 23% on Rotten Tomatoes, which I think wow. isn't that fair. Like, that's not, I don't think it deserves to be that low. Wow. Like, that's, that's, Holy shit. That's, that's surprisingly low. Like, I, yeah. you know, <laughs> I don't I, think it deserves that. that. Well, no, not at all. Especially like when you look at some of the other like dreadful remakes that came out in this era. Seriously. Oh my God. Absolutely. But we open straight to based on a true story on November 13th, 1974, the cameras blurred for a moment before thunder cracks alongside of whispers telling Ronald DeFeo to catch them, kill them. I mean, that was like throughout this whole fucking movie. This movie should have just been called Signal Air or something, or Dead Signal. Like, <laughs> they should have just called the movie Catch Him and Kill Him. Seriously, because that, that is the whole slogan. Literally to the point where the fucking guy's last name was literally Catch Him. <laughs> did, His eyes. I, 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 for, I, I forget. Did, do, do, I was going to say, do we see the house like right away and it's like drastically different design? No, so that is, oh God, I'm so glad you brought that up. We don't see that right away. We see that later in like news clippings that the house was a, or no, it wasn't even news clippings. It wasn't a book, and it was just a a very different design <laughs> than what you got then. I was like, that's not even the same house. <laughs> yeah, it's it's very it's kinda- different. Yeah, because I'm pretty sure, like, don't they use, like, real news clippings of, like, the actual, like, crime in this movie? Or, or do they, they do fictionalized do. ones? No, I think it's fictionalized because they have the actor who play Ron, Ronnie DeFeo mm-hmm. um, in the news mm-hmm. clipping. So I think I think it's fake. But, yeah. Uh, uh, okay, yeah, because, like, the infamous, like, half-moon windows are, like, on the front of the house in this movie for some right. reason. And they're supposed to be on the Rather back. Rather than the side? Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah, the side. You're right. Strange. The side, because it's by the chimney. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But very strange. Very strange. His eyes glued to a dead air signal on the screen at 3.15 a.m. with a gun on his lap and a book titled, quote, Evil is Proof of God, end quote, on the table. He loads the gun before getting up and going upstairs. The thunder flashes as he continues ascending to his parents' room. They're asleep when he cocks the gun before shooting them both in the head. Photos from the crime scene showcasing it in more detail. I think those were real. No, they weren't. Mm -hmm. Those weren't real. Never mind. Yeah, I, I, it just kind of hit in my head. I was like, no way those were real. That's grim. <laughs> yeah, no, those were not real. Uh, the shots wake up his little sister, Jody. He continues moving, covering his brothers up with their blankets before firing the rounds into, into them. He picks off his other sister before heading to find Jody. He, he, she hides in a closet, but he spots the light leaking from under the door. She calls out to him, asking him what's wrong. With tears falling from his face, he tells her that he loves her before lifting the gun and taking a shot. Title card. Someone calls the cops, letting them know about who they found dead. Flashes of photos, articles, and interviews of the situation. A reporter mentioning that the police are holding Ronald in custody for his own safety. Another explaining that he heard voices in his head telling him to murder his family. One year later, Deer Park, Long Island, married couple George and Kathy Lutz are messing around in bed after she scares him awake. He turns her over to kiss her before he spots his stepson, Michael, standing at the foot of the bed with a scuba mask on. Shout out to this kid. Mm-hmm. This kid always played like in horror films. 
for like kind of fucked up mm-hmm. situations. He was also in the orphan as well. Oh, and it was okay. Yeah, yeah. I did not Shout know that. <laughs> yeah, I believe he was a brother in the orphan. I could be mistaken that, but I'm pretty mm-hmm. sure that's right. Let me double check that. I need to fact check. Yeah, he was an orphan. He was he was Daniel in the orphan. Um, so shout out to that kid. Um, but, hey, yeah. even if you're wrong, I think listeners can like send their complaints to Freddie. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, fuck you, Freddie. <laughs> Please do. Even if I'm right, still send your complaints to Freddie. <laughs> Honestly, the later it is in the night when you send him a complaint, the better it is. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> Don't do that. <laughs> He'd be like, what did I do? <laughs> she she asked if he's okay. Michael questioning what George is doing uh, to his mom. He responds, nothing. Kathy giving him a kiss before heading to the bathroom as she chuckles. George brings Michael on the bed. He looks at, um, at the bedside table with a picture of his dad on it. He wonders if George met his dad, but he hasn't. Michael questions if he has to call him dad, but George allows him to call him whatever he wants. His wife happy about their bond as she, as she gets ready inside the bathroom. Cut to George making eggs. Kathy joking as she says ill before giving him a kiss. He serves it to two other, uh, to his two other stepkids, Billy and Chelsea. Billy takes a bite, commenting that it sucks. And I'm like, how do you mess up eggs? But okay. <laughs> um, shout out to Billy though. He's the fucking kid who, who's in, uh, shit, butterfly effect. So yeah, that's, I, that yep. one I know for sure is right. <laughs> Yep, he fucking beat that guy's ass in the movies. That's that kid. <laughs> um, which, to this day, is one of the most brutal scenes to me, personally. Like, all, all the torture shit that I've seen in horror films, to me, that is one of the most brutal scenes in a horror film, to me. Is a guy getting beat to fucking shit with a stanchion. That, like, oh my god. <laughs> yeah, that's that's insanely brutal. Wow. The mid 2000s yeah. were a weird time for horror movies. <laughs> that it was. That it was. <laughs> George agreeing, allowing him to get something on the way to school. He claims that he isn't hungry and that he uh, he can walk, but Kathy isn't having it. She continues brushing Chelsea's hair as she makes her son get dropped off at school, claiming that they have a big day while hugging George. Chelsea wonders uh, where they're going before they can share. Michael drops something in his room, asking for Kathy's assistance. The couple are driving down the road, discussing the price range of the houses that are out of their price range. She spots the house that she circled in the newspaper, stopping George so they can pull off. Man, thank God for the internet. This sounds a horrible way to shop for houses. <laughs> like, yeah. Just fuck. driving around. <laughs> Trying to like picture, it's just like, I think this is the house that I circled. Oh, there it is. The fucking just real estate agent already there. Okay. <laughs> I assume they called ahead of time, but. Hey. <laughs> yeah, I'm, uh, I'm like, and even then, I'm like, oh, I don't want to have to call somebody and talk to them. Like, can't I send a te- can't I send a text? But obviously, phones didn't like cell phones didn't exist in this time period. <laughs> true. Yeah, and also, like, I feel like I would totally want to work with like a fucking broker or something to like help me throughout this process instead of me just seeing one house and be like, this is the one like <laughs> winging it <laughs> based off of just descriptions inside of a newspaper clipping. Yeah. No, thanks. Fuck That's that. insane. Could you imagine if it was like out of state or out of city? 
Oh my God. And I think for them, it kind of was out of state, right? Because this was yeah. New Jersey to New York. I mean, they're right yeah. there, but like still. Well, I mean, I I think they go from like, I think it's implied that they're going from like a lower income area to like Long Island, New York. Right. Yeah. And I think that's, yeah, pretty much like he's the guy who has his own business or whatever. And they're just trying to go across the the lake or whatever that is in New York. I don't know. I, I'm assuming. I don't know what the fuck that is. Is that a what is that? A lake? Is that a lake in New York? I don't know. East I, Coast folks, I, help I, me out. I live in fucking California. We got beaches and shit. <laughs> yeah, for real. Send your complaints to Freddie still. No, Send your complaints to Freddie. <laughs> Just spam him in the Discord. <laughs> they pull they pull up the house, greeted by the by realtor Edith. Kathy comments about them being friendly there. He tells her to just play it play it cool, but she's too excited. Briskly approaching Edith as she nervously taps her hand on the briefcase. She extends a hand, greeting and introducing herself to Kathy and George. They head inside the house. Both of them in absolute awe in the sheer size of the house. Edith eagerly wants to continue so she can leave leave this place. He claims that her ad in the paper is a mistake, knowing how much a place like this should cost since he's a contractor. Meanwhile, Kathy notices a black, a black moldy stain up in the ceiling and decides not to fucking mention that. Like, wait, what? You can't be like, what's that? That, that looks interesting. That's not something we could just paint over. Like, <laughs> like we gotta fix that. Wow. He calls it to deal. Uh, he calls it a deal of the lifetime. Edith not finding anything wrong with that with a smile. Kathy whispers in his ear that she loves, uh, she loves this place as Edith continues giving them the tour of the place. She claims that the history of the house is vibrant as she explains it being built in, in 1692. Uh, Raina went offline for a moment, so I'm just going to keep going. Uh, they go into the room, claiming that it's perfect for children, wanting them to look at the view. George spots the boathouse, Edith suggesting that they all need uh, all they need is a boat. Kathy's sharing that he has a speedboat, but uh, and for uh, excuse me, and for her that that he, that's hook, line, and sinker. Oh my god, that is just beyond interesting for me. Oh, <laughs> uh, looks like um, looks like. We're having some issues a little bit on the back end there. Hopefully, hopefully Raina can kind of come back in. Hopefully soon. We'll see what happens. But we'll, I'm going to kind of keep on going just in case. Um, they go into the room claiming that it's perfect for children, wanting them to look at the view. George spots the boathouse. Edith suggesting that they all that they need is a boat. Kathy Sharon that that's hook, line, and sinker. The house creaks, but only she hears it. Looking back at the spot, the shadow above... A, a shadow moves across the hall. She shows them the basement, explaining it without wanting to go ahead inside. But George and Kathy both take take a look as she waits upstairs. He jokes that it looks like a basement as Edith impatiently asks them what they think. He cracks another joke about Kathy looking good and good in what she's wearing, causing her to playfully hit hit him and run up the stairs. Oh, they're just two lovable oafs. <laughs> about to follow her, he kicks Ronald's old clock that's still set the three fifteen. He inspects it before putting it back inside the box and jogging upstairs. Cut to them whispering about the house, George admitting that this place is value with people with money. 
Fair enough. Kathy tries to convince him that they deserve this, even though they don't have savings. She reminds him how many times he tells her that he works so hard for so little, and today could be the day that this pays off. Yeah, no, let's still, like, check. You know what I'm saying? Like, let's still, like, make sure. Like, we, we need a bit of cushion here. Like, we gotta pay for movers. Gotta probably renovate some shit. Like, uh, this still gonna cost some extra money. I mean, it's the 1970s, though, and everything was cheaper compared to it is now. True. No, I'm kidding. True. True. <laughs> but still, the dollar fair. went farther back then. <laughs> That's very fair. Very fair. I mean, working hard actually meant something then. <laughs> That's true. Now it's like I work hard for pennies. Yep. Like, come on. <laughs> Exactly. Admitting that they will make sacrifices, but she knows that this is what the life that they want. Meanwhile, Edith is waiting in the kitchen, nervously moving her ring around her finger. Until she hears Kathy screaming and laughing, Kathy hugs her husband in pure joy. Edith runs over to them, questioning if they're happy. George jokes that she's happy and he's broke. <laughs> they, are, uh, they are walking out of the house as he asks about the catch. Edith walks away without answering right away, letting them know that there was a murder inside the house. They are both shocked at what she's saying. As she continues trying to make it lighthearted, suggesting that the house is fine. Kathy now finds it strange to buy the house. He answers that the houses don't kill people, but people do. She wonders if they should, if they could actually make it work. He sighs that if she wants it, then they'll make it work. Willing, willing, excuse me, willing to work out of the basement, joking that she could sell one of the kids and then they kiss. A good old Ryan Reynolds humor, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And like allow me allow me to like say this though. Like could you like would you not could you, more like would you would you be able to buy a house that you know like a full blown massacre happened in? Not even Fuck just like no. one or two killings, like Fuck massacred. No. Like yeah. the whole family, mom, dad, sister, mm -hmm. two brothers, and another sister. Like, nah, dude, no fucking way. No yeah, way. Yeah, I'd be afraid that to like tear like up the carpet to replace it and just see like tons of blood stains blood underneath. Stains. Exactly. Like, but like, I feel like that's just such more of a liability slash problem in general. Where I'm just like, yeah. No, like I, I would not, especially the fact that like the fucking real estate agent didn't even feel comfortable going in the basement it was like, though, to me, that's all red flags. Like, no, thanks. Mm -hmm. Fuck yeah, 100%. Day one. Cue the upbeat music because they are moving the fuck in. Flashes of home video recordings of them moving in. Then we switch to night. The house creaks as Michael and Billy are getting ready for bed. Their mom comes into the room to tuck them in, kissing Michael as she asks if he said his prayers and what did he pray for. He laughs at if he tells her they won't come true as she tickles him with kisses. Billy tells her to uh, tell him the truth about praying, not doing any good, knowing that nobody answers him when he asks for his dad to stay alive. She rubs his back to, uh, to not say that, explaining that sometimes things happen in life that can't be explained. George listens at the door as he continues to tell her son to give George a chance, letting him know that he isn't being disloyal to his dad for liking George, knowing that he doesn't want to be, uh, want to be anything but his friend. How long have they been dating before they were married? And, and this like, movie, it implies like weeks. If right. Yeah, like it. They're like give George a chance. Like fuck, dude. Like it, to me, this sounds like this should have been year. Did, the, did their dad die last month, and you just had the rebound? Like what's going on? Mm -hmm. 
Like, yeah. <laughs> I don't, and I don't even know if it like uses like the proper like story of like the Lutzes. Like I do know George was like the stepfather, but I don't know if it they were like a new couple or an established family or what. I like think, no context yeah, I'm is not given. Sure. Yeah. Absolutely none. Knowing that nobody will ever replace his dad for the for the both of them, she kisses his cheek. George walks away before she uh, leaves out of their room. Cut to a couple getting ready for bed. George asking about Billy. She smirks that he'll be fine. Their phone rings. Both of them ex- excited about receiving their first call. She r- runs over to him as she answers the phone in a proud tone. Kathy's mom is on the other end. He bluntly asks, um, asking to speak with her. Excuse me. She bluntly asks to speak with uh, her daughter. He hands her the phone, cracking another joke. While she's annoyed talking to her, he looks over at the vent, rubbing his hands to warm up, whispering the question if she's cold. She shakes her head. He heads down into the basement to add more wood to the furnace. He hears whispers and creaks around him, spotting the clock. Voices coming out of it. He speaks. He's, uh, he picks it up to check it out, but it isn't plugged into anything. So he checks the vents to see if the vapors are moving through it. Uh, vapors. I think voices is what I meant to say. <laughs> uh, he I mean, vapors, voices, same things. Yeah, same difference. He chuckles as he heads back upstairs, not noticing the furnace blazing a large flame. I mean, this is all the shit that I love right now. Like <laughs> right now, this shit is like, I'm in. I'm, I'm fucking in. I, I don't, I can't remember the last time I've seen this movie. I feel like it was fairly recent, but mm-hmm. when I did watch this movie when I was younger in high school, I remember this scaring the shit out of me. Like all this random shit happened and the voices and things like that. Then the fucking bathroom scene happened, which we'll talk about. <laughs> yeah, this uh, this movie very much establishes like, like, yeah, it's like the mid 2000s version of the 70s, but it establishes yeah. a great haunted house tone, like in the early parts of the movie. Very true. And another thing that I, I really like about this movie is that this feels it, it doesn't this feels more like a remake half slash of the sixth sense than it does the Amityville horror in 1979, mm-hmm. um, it, where like all a, a lot of these scenes that happen in this house remind me of the sixth sense. But hey, it's it's like they just used like the original Amityville horror as like a jumping off point. To yeah, just like, tell, a like a template. Yeah, yeah, to just tell like a more traditional like modern horror story. Absolutely, absolutely. Which I mean, produced in Michael Bay fashion, that makes a lot of sense. Oh, Cut to him. Absolutely. Yeah, cuts him waking up in sweat. Kathy shushing him as she takes her clothes off. They begin doing the Mountain Dew slogan. <laughs> Just do the do. Kathy places her head on the stained mirror. Jody's corpse is seen hanged from the ceiling. George gasping in fear. <laughs> I. I okay. <laughs> I watched this scene now and I was like, this is cute. <laughs> because like I'm just picturing the director saying, like, okay, now stick your stick your tongue out, sweetie. Like <laughs> she's like, ah. <laughs> I it's kind of funny because like obviously this member of the DeFeo family that was created for this movie right. shares the same name with like the demonic pig from the original. And it's That's like right. <laughs> 
Yeah, so it's like, oh, they're not going to get as silly as a demonic pig. And then something like this happens and you're like, <laughs> okay, yeah, maybe they are going to get as silly with it. <laughs> yup. It's just like, okay. Showing her toes curl off from the fucking edge of the bed. I'm like, okay, okay. <laughs> Kathy looks in that direction, but she doesn't see anything, wondering if he's okay. He honestly tells her no, and that he doesn't feel well as he continues sweating profusely. Now morning, Kathy has said, Kathy is setting up her clothes, her, excuse me, setting up a line for their clothes and her, with her kids. Meanwhile, George is retching and coughing as she, as, uh, she mentions that she's going to make him some tea. While walking back downstairs with a laundry basket full of clothes, she stops when she hears her daughter laughing and asking how many brothers and sisters someone has. She goes up to check on Chelsea, opening up her room j- to just her sitting on the bed. You know, I mean, shout out to Chloe. You know, I, I I actually like her as an actress, but they really tried working her as a horror actress at a very young age. And I feel like she never truly stuck the mark for horror for me. She didn't stick the mark in horror for me until uh, 2018 Suspiria. Oh, uh, yeah, I forgot she was in that. Mm-hmm. Like the, the right. opening scene. Yeah. Okay, that makes sense because I, I like I felt like she was pretty stale in Let Me In. Oh and, yeah, like it was just like I in in Carrie in the Carrie remake and the Fifth Wave and like I, they really tried making her work as a horror actress and I'm just like she doesn't really I don't know like she doesn't really we, scream Scream Queen or and she doesn't really scream Ripley to me either so I'm just like I don't I'm I'm trying to figure it out. <laughs> Which which is interesting that it works so well in Suspiria, given how True. kind of a small role it is. But also look Very who's small. behind the camera on that movie. True. I mean, Luca, f- fucking masterpiece. And I'm very excited for his cannibal movie. Oh, my God. <laughs> oh, yeah. But, I forgot about that. <laughs> yeah. I can't wait for that. I'm very excited about that. Um, she, it, which I also find to be very ironic. Because he did technically have a movie with Army Hammer. <laughs> oh my God! Yeah, the timing of all of this. I know. Yeah, I found that to be very ironic, and I'm just like, that is, that is something. I mentioned it on Twitter, and it, it like no one. I don't think anyone truly understood what I meant when I was saying how ironic it was. Because I only got like five likes on it, but I was just like. I don't think y'all truly understand how fucking ironic this is. <laughs> oh yeah, that's that that's one for the group chat that you drop it and then explain it and then everyone goes, "Oh, oh fuck." <laughs> <laughs> She greets her daughter, wondering who she's talking to. Chelsea claims that it is a girl that lives in her closet as Jody appears, sitting in the chair with a bullet hole in her head. Her mom humors her, asking what her name is. Chelsea answers that her name is Jody. Kathy moves the chair, moves that moves her hair, mentioning that there are other little girls in town for her to play with. Really? Cause like it seems like y'all never leave the house. And, and it seems like they live like on the very edge of town next to the yeah, lake or whatever right. it is. <laughs> yeah. She understands, but Jody says they're mean. What? 
Have you met them? <laughs> Kathy smiles, looking down at the etch and sketch, questioning if that's Jody. Chelsea looks over at Jody, shushing her. She claims that it is someone else. Kathy asks who uh, who is it supposed to be. Chelsea claims that she uh, she isn't supposed to say who it is, but Jody calls him an a hole. Her mom uh, whispers that she that she's not allowed to say that word. She shakes the etch and sketch, shushing the chair behind her. Kathy looks back, but doesn't see anything there. Like, I get it's supposed to be super creepy, but, like, this moment of trying to provide context for the third act, I feel like, really gets lost in the sauce a little bit. I feel like we needed more clues and hints to hint that there was a man that built this house prior that were a little bit more on the nose than this. Because we get this next scene with Michael and George um that is also supposed to be a little bit of a clipping of the third act as well that I also I feel like gets lost in the sauce a little bit. See see, I feel like they could have like easily inserted a scene where like George or Kathy is like doing research on the house. And then easily. when they just start when they start to discover that stuff, they get distracted and stop looking or something. Like just a contextual clue for the audience to go like, wait, what the hell was that? Right, exactly. Instead of it being the etch and sketch uh, to be this guy um, and his torture device that Michael finds, like, it's just like both of these, I feel like, are very small and for enough for us to forget about it and to not even bat an eye when the third act comes and you're just like, oh, that's what all that stuff was for. Like, like I feel like mm-hmm. no one's going to, no one did that in this moment. No one had an aha moment. Like, ah, oh, that's, that's what that etch and sketch means. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, like no one had that aha moment, I feel like, because of this. I feel like we needed more clues or something. And I think, I think you're right. I think uh, them showing them looking up research of this house would have been a very great contextual clue for them to be like, Oh, okay, this is what's going on. And maybe, maybe they're at the library together or something. And they're looking up more history behind the house, or maybe they're looking up news clippings and it mentions a name or something like, I don't know. Like, I feel like this is such a big piece of, or supposed to be a big piece of history here that is supposed to host this, but I don't know. Anyway, got to George chopping wood, Michael running up uh, to him, wanting to show him what he found and supposed to be the torture device. Uh, what it tortures. They never really explain that. <laughs> I, I I think it's like a like like it's like a nutcracker only for human craniums. Right. Yeah, I guess that's what it was supposed to be, because, I mean, Michael was holding it around his head. And I think that was supposed to be the context clue of like mm-hmm. this was placed on people's heads and it like fucking skull crushed them <laughs> when, when i when i was a kid i actually thought it was like a spur for a cowboy boot fair i could see that <laughs> <laughs> very fair he wonders where michael found it he shares that he found it in the basement george's face turns more serious correcting him that uh, that it isn't the basement but his office kneeling down to command michael to never go down there billy's eavesdropping from the window until kathy pulls in she requests for them to help help them with groceries george allows him to go help her but not before stopping him um as he sniffles from his tears hugging him and softly apologizing before letting him go billy glares at him as he c- 
comes out of the house, Kathy giving him a glance of concern as she enters the house as, as he inspects the contraption. He heads down inside the house. Kathy asks, ask about how he is feeling. George claims to be fine as he gives, uh, gives her a peck and then washes his hands. She shares that, uh, that she found a babysitter, then questions where Chelsea is. He's not sure. It, Excuse me. They head outside to to go look for her. Kathy calling her name as they run to the dock as their dog is barking at the at the door to the boathouse. They run inside, screaming her name as Chelsea stands on the edge of the boat with a balloon. Georgia runs over to her, trying to calmly ask for her hand, but she's zoning out. She she shouts for her hand that's snapping her out of it. Kathy ask uh, ask about. Excuse me. Kathy asks her what she is doing, explaining that she could have fallen into the water. Chelsea answers that Jody wanted her to see the boat. Kathy uh, picks picks her up, looking at George that somebody should have been watching her. They walk outside of the boathouse. He closes he closes and locks it while staring back at, back up at the ominous house that growls. This is interesting mm-hmm. because, like, they say these things like, "Oh, somebody should have been watching her." When I'm in, like. I feel like she was not really in this movie that much because like she like one, why would you allow her to sleep in the attic? Like this little child sleep in the attic when the brothers had to share a room when there was another sister that we knew had her own room. Like the brothers could have all had separate rooms and then it would have made more sense for her to sleep in the attic. But it's, it's never really like established like spatial awareness. Like how oh. how big is this house? Like very exactly. True. Like, like it feels like it's very contained. Yeah, despite looking like a mansion from the outside. Right. We only get to visit maybe three rooms in this whole <laughs> house. The attic, the boys' room, and the parents' room. Like we don't really sp- in the, in the kitchen and the basement. So five rooms that we explore in this house that's supposed to be fucking massive. Mm-hmm. Like, like e- even in the older movies, like they had that issue that like these movies have like no spatial awareness to the surroundings right. for these yeah, characters. And, and I'm assuming that's a budgetary issue, but like this, I feel like that is definitely a fault for sure of trying to make this house seem so large when we're only spending a minor amount of time in some of these rooms. So like, Mm -hmm. I, I don't know. I, I'm, I feel like that, that definitely kind of diminishes this movie a little bit when we see things quite like that. But Mm -hmm. I mean, it is what it is. I mean, it, it, in some cases it still works, but this fucking scene that we're about to talk about right now is where like, (laughs) You're like, holy shit. All right. What the fuck am I watching? Because goddamn. Now night, Michael wakes up from creaking and rumbling. He goes over to Billy trying to get him up because he has to use the bathroom. Billy continues sleeping as more creaks startle Michael. But his bladder is screaming at him louder because he takes this time to open the door to use the bathroom. He walks down the hall hearing clanking from outside the house, looking down at the boathouse door swinging open and close. He makes, he makes a run for it to the bathroom, immediately turning on the light, running toward the tub, not taking his eyes off the doorway. He goes he goes to use the bathroom as he continues to look past the door, not flushing, but still chooses to wash his hands. Like, okay. Okay. 
I, mm-hmm. you know, it, it's like one of these moments where I'm just like, fuck that. I'm out. I'm just going to go ahead and use the bathroom. Just go to bed. Fuck it. But trying for the faucet, but it won't release any water. It just clatters. As he continues trying to see what's going on, he hears wood creaking from outside the door. A person with dark skin and blood oozing from their mouth stands right next to them in one of the best fucking jump scares ever. <laughs> it is such an effective jump scare. Like, I, I find it so perfect because it's so easily forgettable. Like, it got me again where I was just like, wasn't there something in here? And then, like, it was taking a while for it to happen. I'm like, then it finally happened. I'm like, oh, fuck, there was something in there. <laughs> yeah, like, it, like, lingers on to the point that you let your guard down. You're like, oh, I guess nothing is going to happen. And then right. once it does, you're like, wait, holy shit, stop. <laughs> yes. And this this fucking guy looks creepy as shit. And then, like, this is another problem with this movie that I have, is that we didn't need this Native American uh, shoehorn in this movie. Because we had five family members that we could have played with. Six. Six family members that we could have played with here to be our ghosty antagonist. We didn't need that. We had six of them. We had the dad, the mom. The sister, the other sister, the two brothers. Like, there were so many people that we could have played with to be our ghost in the house. It's it's weird because you think, oh, maybe it's going to be like a commentary on colonization and the way the natives in that area were treated, like nope. when America was being established. And it's like, the movie does nothing with it. No, it does nothing but kind of glorify that in some ways it's just like it's it 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 plays very gimmicky like i feel like if they were haunted by the other family members it would have made a lot more sense it would have made so much more sense because that that kind of back end story didn't make sense and even then it could have been kind of like a 13 ghost type of experience right where Mm -hmm. you have this higher being that is the one who's truly pulling the strings here. Instead of us going so far in the past to shoehorn this story in and have the vengeful ghosts be the ones that are antagonizing this family. Um, Mm -hmm. But yeah, I don't know. Super interesting. Not seeing the person, but noticing the blood dripping from the faucet, he makes a break for it to to get back into his room, hiding underneath his covers. The house windows open up and moves chairs, startling George awake with the sound of gunshots. He goes to check it out, the house spilling blood from light switches, and uh, he heads inside the boys' room, seeing himself over their dead bodies of Michael and Billy. Startled by the sight until his... uh, um, Started by the sight of his demonic self, uh, it shifts his head and fires a gun on himself. George actually wakes up this time at 3.15 a.m., the windows wide open. He goes to close them, but hears the sound of uh, of the door shutting to the boathouse. Looking at it, Chelsea's balloon escapes from the doors. He runs down from his, uh, he runs down there as their dog Harry barks from inside the boathouse. He doesn't spot Chelsea, looking around and seeing bubbles escaping from under the water. He jumps in, not seeing her, um, or anything for that matter. So he, so what does he do? He gives us fucking sex, sex on the screen, on the screen as he skillfully leaves out of the fucking boathouse with this chiseled body and you're just like wait a second <laughs> what what 
you know, like the 2000s for horror, super horny time. We didn't get much men action inside of these movies. <laughs> I will admit. So, so this so was a very pleasant surprise for some, I'm sure. <laughs> so two things about the scene stand out in particular to me. Um, one being that uh, 3.15 a.m. is most notably often the believed to be hour. the witching hour. Um, yeah. which a lot of people don't pick up on in these movies for some reason, but it's there. <laughs> it's um, there. And two, uh, my mom always jokes, she's like, oh, Amityville Horror, you mean the shirtless Ryan Reynolds show? That's <laughs> it. That is it. You know, every every single one, we've, we've had them, right? Like, I feel like, I don't know if this was supposed to be us. Gratuitous. <laughs> maybe right like but like in 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 some ways maybe like a slap in the face trying to say that like oh melissa george like you're attractive but like you're not hot like you know what i'm saying like like what like what the fuck are you trying to say like like you know because we we had all these other films that were remakes and they they're fucking sex with jessica beal and fuck like you know like just throwing all these other people in the mix here that they're they're trying to paint as horror sex symbols and then we get Ryan Reynolds, and they was just like yeah. Melissa George, like thanks but no thanks. Like what? Like what are you trying to say? Like she what? <laughs> in fact, she's like wearing as much clothes as possible in this movie. A lot of jackets, Absolutely. a lot of scarves, long sleeves. Absolutely. Yeah, it's like, like we, it's we, like the inverse of like the trend in that era, right? It, it, so I found that I found that interesting. I don't know if that was like some shade, like I'm, uh, you know, I don't know, but hey. Anyway, I think it I think it was oh we casted Ryan Reynolds who's like a literal like Greek god right that like the body of a Greek god so Seriously. might as well put it to use yeah <laughs> and that they did uh, the dog continues to bark up at the window of Chelsea's room he stops Harry's barks shouting if the dog is trying to kill him George looks up at the window noticing Jody but she disappears he looks over at the other window where both Chelsea and Jody stand he runs inside checking on Chelsea's room but she's sound asleep he goes into her closet turning on the light not notice not noticing Jody's body on the ceiling mouth and body covered as he grabs a teddy bear from inside placing it uh, next to her before leaving out. And next to her, I mean next to uh, Chelsea, not Jody, obviously, because <laughs> Jody's like yeah. kicking and screaming as the hands of some being yeah. is not allowing her to fucking, I don't know, do what Jody does. And, and, and Jody doesn't seem like she's trying to warn anyone. Like she, in my opinion, she seems like she's trying to scare everyone. <laughs> Yeah, like, yeah. So like the scene doesn't make te- make sense in that context. Like, what are no. they trying to stop Jody from doing? But also, like, right. at the same time, it looks so goofy that the house is holding her up against the ceiling and she's trying <sighs> to escape. Yeah, like I mean, this definitely was here for scare tactics' sake. But I'm still in at this point where I'm just like, okay, all right. The, I think of it as they did it so she can drop her bear. I don't know. It's. But. It's like, is it, is it like, I almost like wonder, is it like the spirit of everybody who died in the house or is it like the house itself fighting back? That's a great question. Cause like, I, I, I feel like that would have been a better context for us to just be like, this house is the one that's doing this versus us having this, <clears throat> this man 
doing this. this Who I'm blanking on the name of right now, but yeah. uh, John Ketchum. That's right, John Ketchum. That's what a. <laughs> I mean, that's yeah. why they say catch him and kill him. <laughs> yeah, like you know what a fucking name, and it's like catch him with the K and all that whole other stuff. So yeah. Anyway, <clears throat> excuse me. Cut to the morning. Kathy wakes up without uh, without George next to her. He's down in the basement telling Harry to get away from the door that he's gnawing uh, that he's gnawing at. Eventually, shouting for the dog to stop, he takes a look at the hole. Um, that he was ripping off. Kathy comes downstairs wondering why he's down there sitting in, the, in a lawn chair looking at the wall. He claims that it's the only place that's warm because someone keeps opening the windows. She notices the hole, questioning what it is. He doesn't know. She offers for him to go back to bed, but he can't sleep. She apologizes, calling him baby. He gets irritated, telling her not to not to talk to him like he's one of her kids. She, she doesn't understand. He admits that Billy's dog woke him up, finding him in the boathouse. She doesn't understand, knowing that it that it was locked. He he shows her the keys um, to the lock, claiming that they came from Billy's room. Day 15. Billy and George are driving down the highway. George asks uh, for him to apologize about the keys, but Billy isn't going to apologize for something he didn't do. Back at the house, George opens up the, the back of the trunk for Billy to unload the logs. He tells him to, uh, get to get to work while rubbing his head, Billy mocking him before unloading the logs, his mother watching from the kitchen while uh, watching the dishes, the magnet, the magnet letters on the fridge forming to catch him, kill him, catch him with a K. So uh someone runs past her. It's startling her, but she doesn't she doesn't see who it is. The shadow the shadowed figure scurrying away up the, up the stairs, she notices the magnets, reading it out loud before calling for George, checking to see if he's down in the basement. She comes back into the kitchen to him drinking milk straight out straight from the jar. Yep, fucking psych- psychopath right here. This is how you <laughs> you should have known something's wrong with your husband. <laughs> this right here. Thousand percent. Like anybody who just drinks milk to drink milk, fucking weird. Like I'm just, oh I'm sorry, gosh. I'm sorry. Like it, it, did, it's, just, it's weird. <laughs> did Did you see that tweet where somebody said that online and then James Gunn responded? I literally just poured this and it's a glass of milk. Uh, I, yes, I did. That was my friend who posted that. Actually, that was my friend Laura who who went. Uh, oh, I like, love Laura. Yeah. <laughs> ecto fun for those who are curious but yeah um laura posted that and it was like four people and i think it was uh it was the chick from get out it was rose from get out the guy from um no country for old men uh the dude from clockwork orange and i forgot who the fourth person was but yeah james gunn quote tweeted her it was just like as i literally pour myself a glass of milk (laughs) We can add Ryan Reynolds to that list now of psychopaths and horror that drink milk. That we can. That we can. <laughs> That's how you know something's instantaneously wrong. If you're not eating Oreos or eating cereal or fucking eating fucking cake, something, I don't know. Like, milk is not supposed to be consumed by itself. It needs to be consumed with something. <laughs> Agreed. Just, Unless like, it's chocolate milk. That's a different story. Like when when you add flavors to the milk, different story. You know what I'm saying? Like I made my daughter strawberry milk, and <laughs> like that, I enjoyed a glass with her because I made strawberry milk straight from scratch. Where I fucking grounded up my strawberries, add a little bit of sugar, heated those bad boys up, 
put that inside um, some a glass of milk after they cooled down a little bit, and there you go, fucking delicious. But I'm not just gonna drink straight straight milk like that's just that's not gonna happen. <laughs> mm-hmm. If if we have any listeners that are milk fans and have beef, please uh please tag Freddie in all your posts. <laughs> I'm just yes. sending everybody to Freddy tonight. <laughs> Take a picture of yourself drinking milk and send it to <laughs> And then seek help because you no. actually did that. <laughs> no fucking context. Don't say anything. Just do it. I swear. Nobody if you do not say a fucking word. If you do this and you put him in this fo- and you just tag him in this photo no context whatsoever i i i will personally send you something from nightlight i i don't know what it is it might be it might be something i got as, as from studio per, press merch it might be the fucking scissors from us like it might be my chucky doll i am going to send you something strictly from the studio if you do this the first person to do this just sending yourself drinking milk Freddy. Zero context. Like, not warning him. (laughs) And I mean, oh my fucking God. And just make sure to tag me in it after the fact. (laughs) And like, the weirder you're drinking the milk, like, (laughs) drink it in a weird place. (laughs) Please do. Like, in a fucking park or something. (laughs) Yeah. Somebody sends like some like just drinking like milk out of the jug with no shirt in a gas station parking lot. Oh my fucking god! (laughs) I swear to God, you will get something so special. (laughs) He doesn't understand what's going on, and that's that that's me back in the story, not Freddy. But she questions if he's the one who's uh, who rearranged the magnets. He closes the fridge door to look, but they're all scattered. She claims that it is nothing, blaming it on just seeing things. Later that night, George is sitting down as the voices whisper around him. He's all dressed up as Kathy comes into the room, all dressed up as well. His eye is bloodshot as he jokes that she looks hideous. She returns to, and you know what's so funny to me? This is legit Ryan Reynolds. Like, I, I think that was completely just him being <laughs> He's him. not acting. He's not acting. Like, because he talks wild. this way about his actual wife. <laughs> Yeah, this is this is him like right after he promoted a uh, Mint Mobile. <laughs> That's right. Oh my god. And yeah. it's also crazy to see a movie that calls Melissa George ugly because like she is like the furthest thing from it. Oh, absolutely. Like she is a fucking Australian treasure. Like yeah, Melissa George is a is amazing. I mean, granted, she uh definitely had her like got to be the hottie Muscati in Triangle. I mean, she <laughs> was running around in short shorts the whole the whole movie. So, <laughs> great movie, by the way, underrated, absolutely underrated. We covered that as well, actually. But yeah, shout out to Melissa George. Is she doing anything still? She's. I think she's on a show, right? The Mosquito Coast or something like that. I but, I can't tell you right off the top of my head, but from what I hear, she is still acting today. Yeah. Well, good for her. She returns to playful insult, asking about the babysitter. Billy comes in to tell them that he's old enough and that uh, he won't allow her to come in. The babysitter, Lisa, knocks on the door as she uh, still complains to, uh, to as he still complains to Kathy about it. Excuse me. George oh, answers the door. Billy stops as he, as he lays eyes on her. Kathy offering to take her coat and expose just a tad 
bit more of her. <laughs> she flirtatiously greets Billy with his jaw to the floor. He introduces himself. George whispers in um in his ear if he's sure that he doesn't want a babysitter. Kathy offers to show her around, but she declines because she's uh she's used she used to sit for the previous family, the DeFeos. Kathy and George glance at each other as Lisa admits that it is a it is a bit freaky being back there. Billy introduces herself again, but she heard him the first time. <laughs> Got to the cute couple at uh, the Italian restaurant. Kathy mentioning that this is what they needed. The, literally, that Italian restaurant looked like it was totally just a restaurant called Luigi's. <laughs> George agrees. Uh, she. Uh, George agrees. She asks if he's uh, feeling okay. He sighs that he's feeling better, thinking that he just needed to get out of the house. Meanwhile, back at the house, Lisa is smoking a bowl in the bathroom. Billy knocks on the bathroom door. She immediately blows the last bit of smoke, calling out that she'll be right out while holding holding back chokes. She opens the door to Billy with a huge bowl of popcorn, asking if she's hungry. Boy, you read my mind. Back with Kathy and George discussing the kids going through a tough time adjusting, he admits that they all are. She wonders if he uh, feels different about her. He puts his fork down, agreeing that he does, knowing that the first time in his life he's sure about something. That being with her spending the rest of it, um, spending the rest of his life making her happy, holding back tears, she gives him a kiss uh, for turning on the Lutz charm. Hop back to the house, Lisa playing around with her tongue, sharing that some people think Gene Simmons' tongue is fake. This is another thing that I, I <laughs> found interesting. <laughs> like this is our second sex symbol inside this movie, which I believe this is Rachel Nichols, right? I think that's the actress's name. Uh, mm -hmm. Ra Rachel Nichols being known mainly for, uh, like I think she's in Star Trek, right? I feel like that's right. She was in Star Trek the movie. Um, mm -hmm. She was in. She was in a whole bunch of stuff. Like I think she was in like the GI Joe movie, Rise of Cobra, um, but most notably for us horror fans, let me get skip to the fucking bullshit here. Uh, most notably for us horror fans, she's mainly known for P two, so the Christmas movie oh, that a lot of people shit. don't consider a Christmas movie. She was Angela in P two. I had no idea. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a, that's something I need to revisit eventually now. Yeah, I've revisited every Christmas because I, I find it to be one of the most perfect Christmas movies. But yeah, fun fact, since this was around the time that Michael Bay and um, uh, uh, what's her name? Fuck. Megan Fox mm -hmm. were on good terms at this time because she was prepping up to do Transformers for him and things like that. Um, but Megan Fox was actually the one who auditioned originally for Lisa. So. Oh yeah, and this is yeah. like, this is like one year after he met her for uh, Bad mm -hmm. Boys Two, I believe. Yep, yep. So yeah, so she was the one who originally uh, was up for this. But, yeah. I, I mean, so has Megan Fox done any iconic horror? No, I'm kidding. I know Jennifer's body. Please don't attack me. <laughs> <laughs> I would. I, I'm glad she kind of is sort of coming back into horror, like. She's starting. She's starting to ease her way back in. That last movie she was in on Netflix was fucking great. The one with her being handcuffed. That was, oh, that was like I forget the name of that one. The last one I saw her in is a, I saw her in Rogue, which I don't really know if that's considered I, horror. 
Yeah, I can't um, remember. Yeah. I don't the think I've seen that like, one. Where they're like going after the huge lion. Like, oh, yeah, yeah, movies. yeah. The yeah. hunter becomes the prey. <laughs> <laughs> Apex predator all day. <laughs> but she thinks it is all him. Billy trying to impress her. She shares that he got he got some light thi- light thing at a uh, pinball arcade. She just comments on that being cool uh, before asking a few French kisses, explaining it to him. He as he answers that he doesn't. She wonders if his family knew the DeFeos. He doesn't know who that is. She explains that it is the family that lived there before them. He reveals that they just moved in there. She moves in close, asking if he knows what happened to them. He doesn't. She explains that she shouldn't be telling telling him this knowing that his parents are going to be pissed but homie wants to hear about whatever she has to say billy younger siblings are uh playing operation michael purposely messing messing up to have the game alarm chelsea gives it a shot as he's over it lisa continues explaining the story of ronnie and how he killed his his dog first as he claimed it was out to get him and a few days later, he thinks his family are demons and he killed them as well. Billy asks um, how, how he did it. Michael enters the room, hearing the last part, wanting to get, be caught up to the story. He knows that he's too young to hear this, demanding him to cover his ears. Billy mouthing and, <clears throat> and waving for him to get out, get out of there as she instructs Michael not to listen. She immediately turns back to Billy, um, saying that it, it was his it was with a rifle yelling, bang, bang, bang. Images of the deceased flash with each word, startling the boys, explaining that Ronnie went room to room, killing them in their sleep, revealing that he killed his brothers in, the, in this exact room, in those beds. Which I find hard to believe because, like, why wouldn't you get, like, what? Like, why wouldn't you bring your own beds in there? Like, I... I find it more hard to believe that the family slept through the sounds of a rifle going off inside the house. Very fair and that close. Like, come on. But yeah. When Gus from inside the vent, she claims that it is gross that they still sleep in there, changing it to being sick. Michael is breathing heavily at the door, Lisa knowing that she's freaking freaking them out, chuckling that she sucks at babysitting. Kathy and George are leaving the restaurant while Lisa takes them to Chelsea's room, explaining that uh, this was Jody's room and that they found um, and that they found her inside the closet. Chelsea comes to the door, sharing that Jody says that Lisa is a bad babysitter. She doesn't care, mocking Jody being dead and that she got got her fired. Chelsea sits on the bed. Billy dares her to, uh, to go inside the closet. She asks for uh, for his kiss poster. If she, if she does, he agrees. She goes inside the closet. Chelsea suggesting that she's going to make Jody mad. Lisa goes inside <laughs> inside anyway, turning on the light while mocking ooing sounds. She sees Jody's teddy bear on the ground. She's about to pick it up, but the door slams shut. She tries opening the door, but it's locked. She is she's not amused as she calls for Billy and Michael to help help get the door open. They aren't able to get the door open. Billy yelling that it is an opening. She shouts for them to unlock the fucking door, but there aren't any locks on it. He ple- her pleas turn into cries as she continues shaking the door to get out of there, demanding for them to let her out. Chelsea's etch-a-sketch says, hate her, quote-unquote. As she looks down, the light begins to flicker, blood spilling from the bulb. Jody calls out to Lisa in a ghastly voice. She turns around and whimpers. When she, when she sees her, she moves her hair out of the way to reveal a hole, a bullet hole, um, telling her to look what Ronnie did. She grabs Lisa's finger, 
pulling it toward the wound in- until it injects her finger into the hole. Jesus Hell Christ. yes. <laughs> this scene right here is pure fucking gold. Yeah. This is like pure one of the coolest gold. moments ever in the movie. Like, I, I agree. It's like so grotesque, fun, kind of frightening. It's like, it's what I want the whole movie to be, like this type of tone. Absolutely. And I feel like so far, like, we, we got that at that point, right? Like, I mean, we had the fucking uh, dude in the bathroom, and mm-hmm. we had the, uh, in this particular scene, I'm like, fuck, dude, this pace is amazing. And even when we get that scene where, I guess, uh, George has his awakening, or whatever you want to call it, um, like that sequence as well pretty much follows this tone. It's what's after that where it's just like, ooh, fuck, man. All right. Yeah. <laughs> we didn't really stick this landing too well. <laughs> but hey, pulling back flashes of Jody's body accompanied with the rifle firing, her body on the floor with kill him on the wall. Lisa screams as she bangs on the door for for them to let her out until her hands bleed. The house begins to break and shift as she continues banging her hands bloody as she sinks into the ground. Cut to her being wheeled out on a gurney, shivering that she saw Jody. Kathy doesn't know uh, who that is as Lisa explains that it's the little girl that's supposed to be dead. She looks up at Chelsea, who's looking back down at her. Back in in the house, George comments about them pulling a prank, but Billy fights back that they did it. But George continues that they could have hurt someone. Billy blames the house. He yells for them to shut up, causing Michael to cry. Kathy calls out to him. He claims to, uh, to have this under control. She rebuttals that he doesn't have himself under control. She tries to gently talk to them about what they did did was wrong. He shouts for her to sh- to stop it. And whatever she's doing isn't working. Instead, he wants to he wants to do the disciplining from now on. Michael comments that the house is bad to his um Michael comments that this house is bad to his mom. George answers that there aren't any bad houses, just bad people. Billy sternly questions them um, about not mentioning the people that died there. Kathy wonders where they heard that. He explains that Lisa told them that two little boys died in their room. George calls the babysitter an idiot. She tries to shoo her boys back to the room, convincing them to just deal with this in the morning. They both don't want to sleep in their room. George demands them to wipe that stupid look off their face and go back to bed. Oh, fuck. This causes her to scowl at him. He bluntly comments for them to run. She She angrily follows her children up the stairs after she takes off her shoes. Jesus Christ. This is all interesting shit, though. Mm-hmm. Like, I find a lot of the aspects behind what's going on to be a fairly interesting point in this story. Because we see the shift of George very quickly. Um, and granted, we're on day 15, so they've been they've been there for a few. But this tonal shift in George that we're seeing is so fascinating. Like, I really enjoy his spiral. <laughs> like, I just enjoy, like, the the spiraling that is happening with him because of the fact that he does have this... He was supposed to be this funny guy or whatever, and now he is this very abrasive, disciplinary, authoritarian 
uh, authoritarian type of person. Like it, it's super interesting on how they he's chose the, to shift in this way. He's a uh, the nightmare stepdad. Yeah, absolutely. And th- that transition, I think, is just to me very flawless on how this is working. But mm-hmm. yeah. Kathy checks on her daughter Chelsea about um, asking about the yelling. Kathy brush, uh, brushes it off, wanting her to tell her about Lisa. Chelsea explains that Lisa was being mean to Jody and she hurt Lisa. Kathy doesn't understand. Chelsea continuing that Jody won't hurt her because she because she thinks that she's a good mommy. She sits up, chillingly revealing that the man that lives there is bad, wanting him to go away. Cut to George chopping down some wood, handing it to Billy, demanding him to move to a different lo- different location. Kathy watching from their window as she continues mean- meanly demanding – as he continues meanly demanding. She turns around to think about what's going on. Later that night, Billy questions stacking logs of taking a brief break uh, after finishing up the last one. Inside – Everyone else is eating silently. George then just spits out the food in irritation and disrespect, asking Kathy what. She questions if this is discipline or torture. He cracks a lame joke about her meatloaf, nobody else laughing except for him. He quotes his father, quote, when a body suffers, the spirit flowers, end quote, claiming that his dad um, taught him that, taking a bite out of the food that Billy's dad isn't um, around to teach him that. Like, ill, dude. Like, you just spit your food out on the plate and you just want to just reconsume it. <laughs> <laughs> I like, mean, fuck. it goes down easier that way, no? Yeah, I guess so. It's just like, okay, if you had to do one, would you drink milk by itself or chew up your food and then reheat it? Chew up my food and reheat it. <laughs> wow, you hate milk that bad. Yeah, I mean, I actually really like milk when it's with something, but like, I, I feel like since you already spat it out, granted, yeah, it looks gross, but like, eh, you're already chewing on it. <laughs> so whatever, you're already you know? halfway there. You're already you halfway well done with it. it. So I'm just like, finish it, whatever. You know what I'm saying? But like, I picture it as like, while you're talking to someone and a piece of food flies out of your mouth and you like it flies back on the plane and you'd like go to pick it up and just like reinsert it back into your mouth. Like I feel like it's kind of something like that, <laughs> but I, I wouldn't, I would personally probably not want to do either as much, but like, yeah. Cause if I spit food I out, know. like I, I don't think I would want to read it, but I don't yeah. know. You just said the scenario where it falls out of your mouth and then you put it back. in. <laughs> That's fair. <laughs> But yeah, I don't know. It's like uh, no food goes to waste, I guess. Except milk when it's by itself. Except milk when it's by itself. But if it's milk and there's like a packet of Oreos, like, all right, that milk is going to be fucking consumed. But yeah. But that's a great question. So everybody send pictures of yourself just spitting out food and re-eating it. (laughs) Yeah. Send send photos of your chewed up food on a plate to... We're not going to send it all to Freddy. <laughs> He's oh, going to hate us by the end of this episode. He is going to be so fucking confused because I don't think he re-listens to these episodes <laughs> when he's not on them. So, like, he's going to be so confused. It's going to be lovely. <laughs> we sent complaints to him, milk, now chewed up food. 
Oh, my God. Guts him nailing plaster on the wall, overhearing Michael calling him a jerk to Billy. Billy rebuttals that he isn't just a jerk, but a douchebag, weirdo, doofus, and a dipstick. Jesus Christ. Something whispers to George for him to catch him and kill him. He goes over to the hole in the wall that Harry was digging out a few days prior. He, uh, he places his hand on the wall. He, we fade inside another room. The ground filling with blood through cracks from it spilling out on, the, on a hole on the rows of beds. There's a there's a body with a excuse me there's a body with its back sliced and cracked open. He picks up the person's he, um, head, revealing that it's him. His corpse speaks for him to kill them. Jump cut to him puking in the toilet as he uh, runs himself a bath. He washes his hands, wiping the fog off in the mirror to see to see himself. He takes some pills before entering that scolding bath, trying to relax until multiple hands pull him inside the water to drown him. Fighting for his life as they rip and claw at his flesh, Kathy pulls him out of the water as he's still in shock, screaming. She yells She yells that it, uh, it is just her as he begins to sob, hugging her as blood still trails from his back. He goes to a doctor as they examine him, the doctor asking if he uh, uses narcotics. George looks seemingly normal. Be, uh, being his joking self, as he answers that he doesn't, he doesn't. But after this week, he's going to he's going to give it some serious thought. The doctor continues the questions um, if he has headaches and or nausea. George answers that he actually feels great now, finding that to be weird. The doctor writes him a note to speak with Doctor Stone, a psychiatrist. George looks at the note, commenting about uh, about it being a psychiatrist, asking if he looks nuts. The doctor. Um, the doctor isn't trying to offend him as he walks out of the room. He's like, hey, man, I'm not trying to fucking offend you. I'm just trying to do my goddamn job. I'm trying to help <laughs> you out here. So, as one does. As one does. As one does. So, yeah. Um, super interesting, though. Like, I, I mean, granted, this is the 70s. So, like, the term crazy was thrown around quite frequently. And, and now we live in a time where mental health is... Uh, very, very talked about now, but this was super interesting to kind of even add this tidbit in here of him, like mm -hmm. going through this kind of, uh, uh, psychosis, um, and asking if he does take any type of narcotics or anything like that to, uh, to kind of focus on that point a little bit more. So I found that to be very fascinating. George and Kathy are driving back. She comments that uh, she she feels like this is her fault since she was the one that wanted this place, putting too much pressure on him. He tries to he tries to groan and shrug that off, cutting her off that this is the life that he wanted as well. Them having the American dream, and he's not letting that get away from him. She pats his arm, saying she loves him, and I'm just like, damn, get the fuck out, <laughs> just get out of there, yeah, literally. Billy, Michael, and Chelsea are eating cereal. She asks Billy if uh, if she could get her teddy bear, claiming that she's real hungry. He allows it, telling her to hurry up um, so their mom doesn't find out. Kathy and George make it back home. They are walking down. They are walking back to the house. Chelsea's teddy bear, or rather Jody's teddy bear, falling in front of George. He looks up but doesn't see anything. Chelsea calls out to her mom, waving and greeting her to look at her. To look at her, they both look up in absolute terror as she stands on the beam um, on the roof. Kathy and George spring into action, yelling for her to not move as they run up there. He grabs a ladder of um, uh, out of his truck as she runs inside to try and get up get up there from the window. 
She trips on the gutter. He, um, he asks the boys of which way did Chelsea go. They yell that she's going left. Kathy makes it up there, scaling, uh, scaling around the roof to, to meet with her um, on the other side. She asks, what's she doing up there? Chelsea comments that she is going to she's going with Jody. She tries to coach Chelsea to come back, but she jumps off. Kathy cries, no! <laughs> as she leaps and grabs her from the shirt, she calls for George as he continues to scale up after dropping his ladder. The, they slide down the roof as, um, as she continues calling for him um, that she's slipping. Chelsea's shirt rips, but he manages to catch her. Cuts to Kathy yelling at Chelsea, not understanding why she would do that. She repeats that she's sorry and that Jody wanted to show her something. Kathy comments that Jody isn't real, but Chelsea shouts that she is, causing um, causing her mom to shout that she isn't and that she needs to stop this. Chelsea repeats that Jody's real, um, causing Kathy to frustratedly yell that she isn't. Um, Chloe Grace Morris gives arguably one of the best scenes out of her career as Chelsea yells, Liar! And that she, um, that she's seen her with tears covering her face. She sobs that Jody was going to take her uh, to see her dad, and that she wanted to just she wanted to just see him. I love the scene, and mm. I love the scene yeah. mainly because of the fact that one, Chloe Grace Moritz, in this point in time, she is technically eight years old. Wow, she's that yeah. young in this movie. She's that Good young Lord. in this movie. And her being an eight-year-old, being able to produce the fucking tears right on cue, and having that that trembling voice in her, um, it, it, to me, it was just it was flawlessly done, and I thought that was absolutely perfect. And there's other moments in this movie where I feel like she acts a little too childish, like a little too babyish, like they kind of make it seem like she's more six than eight. In certain mm-hmm. moments, but yeah, I'm sure that's a direction thing. But like when she's crying, she sounds way more mature than when she actually is. Speaking of like direction thing, I like how when they're on the roof, it's shot from a higher angle, so you really get like an idea of how yeah, high up they're they high are. As fuck yeah, I yeah, really great call out, Raina, because I I do feel like that them being higher up really does make a difference like oh fuck kind of experience for sure yeah because it would have been easy to just shoot this scene just from a low angle and just like shoot it like i don't know maybe 10 feet up in the air but it looks like they really got like actors like on the roof of like this massive like set yeah and then they just shot it i don't know how true this is but supposedly she did her own stunts i i don't what? No idea how true that is. Yeah, I don't. I don't believe Chloe Grace Moretz went on a three-story house as an eight-year-old yeah. and jumped like, I, off. Like that's that sounds pretty unbelievable to me as well. But like, supposedly she did. I'm like, okay. I don't know if child child labor laws allow stuff like that, but <laughs> yeah, or I maybe she had like a harness on or something. I'm sure she did. Yeah, I'm <laughs> sure she had to have like a harness or something on. Um. I mean, it, in some ways, it kind of makes sense because, like, even when I like replayed that scene, like it looked like her falling in her arms. Like, usually, you can tell in those moments that, like, oh, that's a that's a stunt double or something like that. But like, that looked mm-hmm. like her. But who knows? 
Hopefully they got it in one take. <laughs> also promising that she could stay there and they'll uh, play forever. She asks Chelsea if she misses her dad, understanding that um, that she misses him. Georgia walks around the corner with the, with her stuffed bear as Kathy continues that nobody can see her dad uh, her dad because he's in heaven with the angels. She hugs her daughter and kisses her that she just got so scared. Billy and Michael watch George from the outside before he asks what's their problem. He glares in disgust before walking away his eye. Um, back to being bloodshot, call on the family wackos. He grabs some of the some of his clothes, blankets, and Ronnie's clock to head downstairs to live and sleep. Man, Kathy um, goes to meet Father Calloway, who's um, raking dead, burning leaves, which I thought was very metaphorical. <laughs> they quickly greet each other. Asking if uh, if he has a moment, they sit down on a bench. She shares uh, that her family, that her and her family feel uh, feels like they've grown apart. He doesn't understand. She explains further that she believes that there's something evil inside her house. She cries, understanding that it sounds crazy, thinking that the that um, the same not thinking the same, um, not knowing where where else to go. He shares that the DeFales live there. Um, that the DeFales lived there some time ago having a similar problem. She knows what he's talking about, um, and he's surprised. She reveals that they're living in, the, uh, living in their house. Meanwhile, George is forcing Billy to hold a log as he splits it with, the, with an axe, instructing Billy to hold it steady. He uh, takes a swing, Billy moving out of the way at the last minute. When it's just like, dude, I would be like, motherfucker, I watched you do this shit without me doing this, so fuck you. Not holding this. I mean, I mean, would you say that to him as he's holding an axe? No, but like <laughs> at the same time, I I don't know what I would have done in this moment. Because <laughs> like, yeah, Ryan Reynolds looks scary. He plays a really good villain. It's yeah, like I yeah. want him to do more like serious villain roles. Me too. Like I don't. Like I don't think he really does villain roles, right? Does he ever play the uh, villain anywhere else? Uh, maybe, maybe Adventureland. Like, was he a villain or was he just a douchebag in that movie? I mean, he was a douchebag, but like, that's the only thing I can think of. Like, same thing with waiting. Like, he was also just the du- <clears throat> the douchebag. Yeah. So like, I, I yeah I don't I guess he kind of played a villain and like. X Men Origins Wolverine, yeah, a little bit, yeah. Uh, he was but a villain he to, talk. yeah. He was like a villain to the world in uh, Green Lantern. <laughs> <laughs> but no, True. I don't think he's. I don't think he's played like a legit villain. Maybe that movie Voices, uh-huh. where he's like the serial killer that hears like the voice uh, of a dog. Yeah, maybe. I mean, he also he's he, he's not a villain in this, but like one of his best roles, in my opinion, was buried. I never so, saw that. Oh, dude, fuck! Watch buried. Buried is okay. intense, and he's only in a fucking. He's buried alive, and that's the movie. Oh, like, okay. He, yeah, he, and the whole movie is a he is him and a cell phone. Inside of a fucking casket under the ground. And he's trying okay. to he's trying to get the fuck out. Watch buried. It is intense as shit. <laughs> okay. I yeah, think that's very much that beyond your alley. <laughs> I'll I'll have to check that out. 
Yeah, definitely do. He begins to cry, George commenting about him crying, claiming that it wasn't so bad. He demands Billy to pick up another log. He does so, but doesn't hold it. George demands him to put his hands up um, as Billy tries to stand up for himself. He grabs Billy's face, viciously telling him that they are friends and having fun, demanding him again to put his hands up there. George slaps his face before they do it again. I'm like, fuck, dude, you look like you actually hit him. Jesus. Mm-hmm. Later that night, George is down in the basement looking over the, looking over at their uh moving in um excuse me, looking over at their moving in recording, smiling and laughing. He begins to dry cough as Billy's face shifts something demonic. He reminds the he, uh, he reminds the spool, getting a clear image of the demonic face before the film burns away. He hears the faintness of Kathy telling her daughter to come there. Uh, Kathy and Chelsea are in bed together as they cuddle up next to each other. It is now 3.15 as George receives more instruction to catch him and kill him. The door swings open. He heads upstairs, the windows all all being open. The front door also open as he hears Harry barking outside. He goes to find the dog, taking the axe and dragging it with, with him into the boathouse. I feel like... You know, I mentioned that this movie is like six cents, but I actually think this movie is more of a simplified version of The Shining. Yeah, I, I, I'm super inclined to believe that, like just one man's descent into madness, taking yeah. it out on his family. Right. And like, I feel like this is just more of a simplified version of that um, to where we see his decline. We even get the fucking, of course, the, the axe and the sliding of the axe and things like that. It, it is very reminiscent of The Shining. But like, I feel like Michael Bay wanted to produce The Shining. And this was him being able to kind of be able to do that in some way, shape or form. Could you fucking imagine get the right. a Michael Bay Shining? Oh my god. god! I can't. I can't imagine like any like Michael Bay Stephen King movie. Oh fuck! That would be the day the world ends. Well, if we find out not, that like he made a Michael, like he made let, a Stephen King movie. Let's let's not get ahead of ourselves. Uh, Ambulance really whipped ass this year. Ambulance was fucking amazing. Not gonna like lie. A, like imagine like, a shining movie shot with like the drone cameras that he used in that. Oh my god. A little nauseating, but I feel you. <laughs> I feel you. I mean, yeah, I can see that. Man, are you reading fairy tale right now? By the way, I haven't. Slight I feel like tangent. I'm like the only. I'm like, I feel like I'm the only person in the world that doesn't have a copy of that yet. <laughs> oh my god, I am like on chapter eight, and mm-hmm. shit. It is so fucking good. <laughs> I I like, hear it's one of like King's shit. like better recent novels. I like I thought the Institute was really good and a lot of people didn't care for that one that much, but mm-hmm. like this this is like fuck. Like this is Stephen King getting weird and I'm digging it. Like it is like holy shit. Like I I feel so- like this is like a bit of like some type of the outsider shit with like the the whole uh kukui and things like that like this is this oh. is something like that yeah dude like the i'm gonna it i'm is, gonna have to it is fucking intense i i just uh i just finished revival from that. him oh so good 
Uh, yeah, that thing fucked me up, and then it like double fucked me up when I heard that Mike Flanagan was attempting to adapt it, and it just kind of fell mm-hmm. through. Yeah. Oh fuck! I want him to adapt another Stephen King flick so bad. I think it'll happen. Yeah, yeah, it will. By the time this episode is released, um, the Midnight Club will be closer. But like, yeah, it's some cool shit in the Midnight Club. <laughs> well, well, also like, don't forget this. Like, if you got your hopes up for Flanagan King, like Netflix does a lot of King adaptations. A lot, a lot. They're doing uh, Mr. Harrigan's phone right now, so. Yeah, I don't I don't know about that one. Uh, it's a. Um, I I thought the story itself was a pretty mediocre story, so I'm not I'm not too I'm not too yeah. excited. For Th- it, to then again, honest. I thought. Then again, I thought Gerald's game was like insanely mediocre, and then the movie came out and like blew <sighs> my socks off. <sighs> Fucking Mike Flanagan, what a guy! Anyway, the door swings and bangs as he continues hearing the barking and voices filling his head. The voices planting a fake growl from Harry, which powers up George's anger caused him to uh, caused by the house. He enters the boathouse, trying for the light, but they uh, but it cuts out. Uh, searching in the dark for the dog as as entities float up toward the surface of the water. He's startled as a ghoulish person runs over to him. With multiple swings, the dog yelps, revealing that George accidentally killed Harry. He sobs before having to scrub his blood from the dock. God damn. Cut to uh, cut to them at the kitchen table later that morning, hearing whispers of the voices in his head. He uh, he, his hands tremble as Kathy comes into the room. She tells him that she thinks something is seriously wrong there. He questions her if, um, as he continues looking at his hands, she tells him that they need to, that they need to get out of there. She shakes his head, his head, excuse me, he shakes his head that they can't just run away from their problem, uh, problems as the house creaks and settles. He asks, he asks if she hears that squeak, suggesting that he has to fix that because this house, um, these houses are big projects. He grabs her hands, squeezing it until she pries it out from his hand, questioning about how she got so fucking stupid. Jesus, knowing Good that everything God. that they, uh, knowing that everything they have in this house, he she argues that she isn't worried about their money, knowing that the um they are losing each each other, shouting that if they stay there, they'll have a house for the for the family, but they won't be in any family at this point. He ignores what she is saying, commenting about it being cold in there, going to the stove to turn on the burner. She slams her hand, her hands to the table, or excuse me, she slams her hands on the table for him to leave the stove alone and pay attention to her. She, he yells he's not going anywhere and neither is she, yelling for her to shut up about that. Billy enters the room as they argue, George continuing that she, she wanted this godforsaken house. Now she has it. Michael runs into the room, calling for his mom. George hitting the fridge, one um, one lining, home sweet home, as the magnets fall off. With heavy breaths, she asks Michael what he wants. He quickly explains that he can't find Harry and that he's gone. She tells him that he that he will come. Uh, Excuse me. She tells him that she will come. She will come help him look for him in a moment. Billy asks uh, George if he's seen Harry. George answers that he hasn't, thinking that he possibly ran away as he looks at the boathouse. Billy rebuttals that Harry never runs away. 
Kathy yells for him to, um, to get out of there before glaring back at George. Father um, Calloway makes it to the property, blessing the outside of the house before knocking on the door. Meanwhile, George is drilling nails inside the uh, boards of the house. Chelsea answers the door with an excited smile. Calloway asks if, if her mom is home. She she calls her mom, Kathy allowing him to come uh, to come inside. He notices that Chelsea is holding Jody's bear. Kathy and Calloway are walking on the property. He explains that the bear belonged to Jody. She comments that um that it was left it was left inside the house, but he denies that it wasn't left there. She doesn't understand uh, what he's trying to tell her. He explains that he knew the DeFeos very well, presiding over their funeral. Jody being buried with that doll. Dun, dun, dun. What a reveal. That was such a fantastic reveal. Such a fantastic reveal for her to be like, oh, fuck. Okay. <laughs> I think it's wild that like, that like it's revealed the way it is. Cause it's almost like kind of discovered nonchalantly, but then you're like, wait, what? <laughs> right. Yeah. And that, that's true. Like it is funny. To even think of how this is discovered, and they're just like, "Oh, shit, okay." <laughs> but I love how like the, the, the Father Calloway is just like, "I must be here for you at this moment," because he's like, he, he goes back inside the house, blessing his exorcist artifacts. Then the house creaks around him as flies also spawn on the curtains, and they're just like legit spawning. They're just like, "Huh, fly here, a fly there, a fly here." <laughs> He throws holy water down on the ground. It sizzles, accompanied by an unearthly howl. Calloway continues, the house creaking, howling, and breathing. The door slams shut behind him, turning the cross and uh, turning the cross embossed handle upside down. Man, this was back when like upside down crosses were all scary and shit. <laughs> I know. Everyone before it was like them. a fashion statement, right? Like everyone used them, and like, yeah. It's just okay. <laughs> well, well, I think the series has had like a weird obsession with like inverted crosses. Like, like famously, like the original movie had that poster where like the house is like casting a shadow, right? And it's the inverted cross. Yeah, that's true. That makes sense. I feel like that definitely is like a callback. <clears throat> he takes uh he takes a chair, um, checking the vent where the breathing and buzzing is coming from a flock of flies shoot out at him, causing him to scream and fall back from the chair. Hard as fuck. Mind you hundreds or thousands of flies attack him. the door opening back up the voice demanding him to get out. I feel like this could have been so much more scarier if they would have mm -hmm. just leaned all the way into it, have him see a fucking ghost or something. So of the flies in the door opening up and whatnot. And that being like, the scary thing, I guess. I don't know. Because mm -hmm. the scare here is just very... It's cheesy. It's a pretty cheesy scare. He runs out of the house immediately jumping into his car to get the fuck out of there. And I cannot blame him. Kathy runs out of the <laughs> out uh, out calling for him, banging on his window to understand why she why he is he leaving. He speeds away. She turns around and into George's sadistic possessed arms. He tells her that it's okay because he's there, letting out a stuffed sniff that um, that feels more evil than it sh uh, should have been. And I love the camera work here. I like zooms in his face. He's like, "Don't worry." Dung, camera, zoom in. I'm here. Dung, zoom in again. Then sniff. 
Go to the house, awakening as the windows and doors uh, fly open. Opening, there's someone dressed in black walking outside the front door. And I love this because I do love that this at this moment it's Ketchum and he's just like walking on the grounds. And I feel like this is the moment where that made me think like we should have had more of him if we are trying to be introduced to him. Like I feel like he should have just came a lot sooner. But Mm -hmm. hey. Cut to the house awake. Oh, excuse me. I said that part already. Uh, the ec- the voices continue to echo, catch him and kill him to George. Harry barks from outside the boathouse to uh, waking him up. He's like, like he's not barking that loud. He cusses and realizes that Harry's is no longer is no longer alive. The TV cuts on, repeating the f- the phrase. He goes outside, looking at the boathouse, trying to get his uh, trying to his best to hold back tears as he contemplates looking back at the house. He screams as he falls on the ground, trying his best not to allow the voices to overtake him. Kathy watching him from out- inside the house. Day twenty eight. Kathy replays what Edith is telling telling them about the murders that have happened there. George wretches down in the basement. She goes to a library, banging on the window and to enter inside. The librarian opens the door, explaining that they don't open for a few more minutes. Kathy just fucking bolts past her, um, entering inside to, uh, to check a newspaper clipping. Now, if that would have been like a badass bitch, she would have been like, I, ma'am, I fucking said we're not open yet. So like, wait. You could wait two minutes. Shit, <laughs> calm your ass down. What the fuck you in a hurry for? What, what do you want to read? What do you what, what do you want to read? <laughs> Jesus Christ! <laughs> what do you want? To <laughs> I'm just picturing that scenario play out in my head and just cracking up, like somebody standing off to the side recording it with a cell phone. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, fuck, dude. Come on. <laughs> She she, fi- she finds articles about voices telling Ronnie to do it, him moving into the basement and finally carrying out the murders 28 days after they moved there. She finds clippings of him and then on the... On, on, I feel like this moment didn't need to be this on the nose. She finds clippings of him and then of his book etched with a pen that says, catch him and kill him with a K. Meanwhile, George continues looking at the hole underneath the wall. He breaks the wall down, trying to rip it off, his hands covered in a sticky substance. Trying to uh, see what's inside, he's startled back as a clump of maggots eat on the wooden beam. And just a heads up, everybody, this part fucking jumps back and forth like crazy. So just bear with me here. Kathy eventually finds the bin card of Reverend Jeremiah Ketchum. Oh, that's right. It was Jeremiah. Um, she grabs the book, skimming through it and finding their house called the sanctuary, claiming that he started a mission for native Americans. And this is when the movie goes completely downhill for me. Oh yeah. This is where the train derails. Like what the fuck? What do you mean? Why is this introduced now? What? the hell come on george takes a sledgehammer at the wall bursting through it kathy um, while kathy continues searching through the book finding one of the torture devices the same device that michael had found a few days earlier cuts cuts him in um entering inside the hole um following the voices and finding in 
excuse me, cuts to the cuts him inside, uh, entering inside the hole, following the voices and uh, finding prison prison cells. He's startled by a man behind bars, ripping on his stitched mouth, gurgling for him to help him. The image of the same man is inside the book, calling it a, dem- a diabolic possession. She realizes that Jeremiah sl- um, slaughtered all of these people, one of them hanging from hooks. Finding more information about over 20 bodies found inside the lake. George continues down the hall, startled by every person who is, who was wrongfully killed inside the basement, eventually making it to the door that uh, has a lit outline. Kathy begins to cry as she makes it to the page with Jeremiah Ketchum, reading that he committed suicide in the basement. She leaves out of the library to meet up with Father Calloway. George, at this point, you'll be, you're not thinking like, I should get them out of the house. Like, you got to meet back with Father Calloway when this dude straight up was just like, I do not want to help you. <laughs> I mean, I mean, it, it's Amityville. You need a priest. They got to give him something to do, I guess. True, true, true. George enters the room. Catch him standing in the middle of the room. Um, Kathy asks Calloway why he abandoned them. He reveals that uh, that her house frightens him. She's like, yeah, no shit. Like, why did you leave, though? Like, what's going on? <laughs> she explains that she read about Ketchum, explaining what he did, slitting his throat so his, his presence would live forever. While she's explaining this, George's obtaining the full experience inside the basement. She wonders if Calloway believes this is true. He claims that Ronnie came to him a few weeks before the murders um, and that he spoke about hearing voices and seeing things in the house. He didn't believe him until the, until that day. He grabs her, instructing her to get her family and uh, her family out of that house. George is now drenched in blood as, of Ketchum as, um, as if he's fueled by it. You know what's funny? This dude is a fucking priest, man. Like, yeah. <laughs> like, you, you mean to tell me you didn't believe this guy? hearing voices in his head. Like, I feel like out of anybody, you should have been the only person to believe this guy. I mean, it always gets brought up, but who's the greatest villain in all of horror movies? It's the Catholic Church. Oh, it's always the Catholic Church. Always. Yeah, so, you know, (laughs) I think it's probably like, eh, he just brushed it off. Because, like, in other movies, you see, like, it's either they don't care, or you got another, it's like, Instantly jumps to exorcism. True. Like, it's one of the two extremes. It's never, like, a nuanced, like, portrayal of a priest unless you're talking, like, the Exorcist TV series. That is true. Very true. Cuts him uh, waking up from the phone ringing. He answers it. Kathy instructs him to... Uh, to grab the kids and leave out of the house. He rips the phone out of the wall. <laughs> Cue the unforeseen storm as she re- uh, rushes home. Like, what? where'd this storm come from? And why were you at the library for so long? It, like, mm-hmm. damn. She bursts through the doors, calling out to her children, asking for the whereabouts of George. Billy mentions um, that he's in the boathouse. George is inside the boathouse looking for... De- uh, uh, for demonic people under the water. Kathy yells that they need to get out of there. He shines the light in her face, causing her to fall into the water because it's too bright. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, what? <laughs> what? What do you mean, dude? <laughs> her hair getting caught in the propeller. She looks down. He looks down at her, her face shifting to something demonic. He flips the switch to pull the trim down 
um, having her submerge. He turns the propeller the opposite direction to set her free. Reaching out, reaching out for her, she, um, but she doesn't accept his hand. Climbing out, calling him crazy and yelling about uh, her trying to him trying to kill her, he watches her with intrigue as she leaves out of the boathouse. She calls for Chelsea, who's downstairs inside the basement. She finds caskets with their names written on them, trying to trying to turn around and leave, but George is blocking her way. He takes Chelsea, thinking that she misses her dad, grabbing her face, asking uh, the question to her. She demands her daughter back. He kisses and literally tosses her to Kathy. They run out of the, out of her house. Um, they excuse me. They run out as as he tells her that he want he wants to talk to her. Slam the door in his face as he yells that he wants to talk to her. Kathy um, gathers her children. Billy helping to uh, push a cabinet to block the door. George pushes at the door um, as he wields the shotgun. Or excuse me. Uh, at, at this point, we see that George fucking the door opens up by itself with George having the shotgun in his hand. Then he pushes the door while wielding the shotgun, the house working with him, choosing, choosing the door in front or closing the door in front of Kathy and her children, closing them inside the house. He finally pushes the, his way inside the house as they continue to continue trying to run away. The house sealing up and closing off any exits. She tries taking them to uh, a different direction, but he grabs her by the neck, tr- um, bringing her back into the kitchen. Pinning her to uh, pinning her to the wall as Billy tries to punch him to let her go. He elbows Billy, but let's let's go of Kathy in the process. They continue searching for a way out, but the windows cl- uh, continue slamming around them and screws fasten in the wood. Chelsea runs upstairs and they uh and they are excuse me. Chelsea runs upstairs and they run and he runs up behind her. Or her children run up behind her. George walking behind them, shaking his head and smashing the, the photo of Kathy without even looking at it on his way up. He cocks the gun as he patiently continues up the stairs to Chelsea's room, shooting a panel of the door, then kicking it in. Man, why did he shoot that panel on the door? What, like, what? What did that do? <laughs> <laughs> This is like where logic like leaves the theater or like leaves the room on this movie. I'm like, what? What was that supposed to do? <laughs> Why did you do know. that? But that was interesting. Okay. Uh. Anyway, he searches around the room, not able to see them. They are climbing out on. They are climbing up the roof. He hears them as and takes a shot, barely missing Kathy. The group continues as Billy goes and rips off a pipe, hitting George in the face, causing him to tumble to the ground. They try to enter um, back inside the house, but they are startled by Ketchum standing inside with his blackened eyes. What? George wakes up from his voices replaying in his head. The family tries going to the going for the ladder attached to the chimney. <clears throat> and I'm like, in this moment, Michael is doing some weird thing, like he's reaching for something. And I assume he's reaching for whatever is green screened out. But like, mm-hmm. yeah. It's like he's reaching for something like like he's reaching for something or someone. But it was very interesting. Um, they begin their descend as George goes to grab an axe, um, making uh, making it to the ground, tr- trying to coerce George to jump as well. 
uh, trying to encourage Michael to jump. Excuse me, not George. George slashes their tires before meeting up with them. He grabs Billy as Kathy moves moves her other children to a different location. He stares at Billy at his um at his as his face from changes from fear to demon. With a whisper of "Kill him," he go, he goes in for the swing, stopping when when Kathy grabs a gun, cocking it uh for, for him to back the fuck up. Yeah, man. He grabs the barrel of the gun, pointing it at his head, betting her to shoot. He screams for her to shoot, but she can't. Man, I would have shot the fuck out of this dude. Yeah, like, and also, does he, like, picture himself as, like, a demon slayer? Like, oh, my family's demons, time to kill them all. That's what I'm assuming. Like, I'm assuming that that's how Ketchum positioned himself. That, like, he pictured these people as demons? But like, like, wait, what? It's weird. It's weird because it's like, oh, he also ran a cult, but at the same time, it wouldn't it be more typical of like a cult wanting to control the demons, right? Or is it just like an ultra religious sect? But they talk about how he wasn't even really religious. Like, what? Are, right. What? Are, what? Like, what are we like, doing here? The listeners can't see, but I'm like rolling my hands, and I'm like. <laughs> what are we doing here? <laughs> yeah, what are we doing here? You know, like a a, a a film that did this, in my opinion, way better, Fear Street. The Fear Street trilogy just did this way better. And granted, yes, it's a bit of a cop-out because they had three fucking movies to really flush out their story. But still, I still think that in their segment for this was super short because it was 1666 is the one that I'm referring to. And I feel like this just they did this whole kind of idea of this possessed reverend way better. But I never I, saw that third one. You didn't oh. watch the third one? No, I... Okay, disclosure, I like... I love the first one. Uh, I hated the second one. Oh my god, I thought I was the only one. No, I, I hated I 78. I thought the first one was so fucking good. And then 1972 or 8? Is it 78? 78. Yeah, yeah. I I thought it was I didn't I didn't find it boring. I just found I was like this literally is every camp horror movie ever. Like it's nothing different here. Like it, I was not <laughs> wowed. But I thought 1666 was awesome because it was it was a uh, folk horror. And it I was I got like 10 minutes out. I got like 10 minutes into it and it was aping the witch so hard that I was like Oh, oh yeah, the whole thing is about the witch for sure. Yeah, the whole thing is about the witch. Yeah, so yeah, I I might give it a spin though. Eventually, that's fair, super fair. Or you could just watch um, Paranorman because Paranorman is pretty much Fear Street for kids. I think I think I would rather watch a a Leica film. Yep, can't blame you. Than a Netflix film. I Can't mean, although that. Netflix and Leica are working together, oddly enough. I cannot <laughs> fucking wait for Wendell and Wild. Oh, my God. Oh, man. I cannot wait for that. He's about to go back to uh, to business, but she hits him in the face with the butt of the gun instead. Flashes of the of their move in... Um, if they're, uh, Excuse me. Flashes of their move-in day flutter through his head. Um, they they try to grab some rope while he's down, but he he gets back up, connecting the axe with uh, Kathy's stomach, but it's inside of his head. He actually wakes up this time, demanding her to kill him, telling her to uh, telling her to kill him or he'll kill her. She tells him 
she tells him that nobody is dying today as she drags as she drags his tied up body to a boat. They make it to a boat. He wakes up with yet another jump scare as uh, she, as the flashes of all of the heinous shit that's happened inside there. His this reminds me of like Event Horizon. It's like a bunch of flashes of just crazy shit that's that happened there. I guess his body twitches as Billy doesn't understand why uh, why they don't just leave him there. Great question. She doesn't uh, explain to him, just knowing that they need to get him away from the house. They put him inside the boat. Kathy drives him out on uh, on the water until George gasps into realization. They all stare at the house. He tells her um, not to even look at it, wanting them to just get out of there. Don't even look at it, Kathy. She sells away, leaving us with the with the aftermath text quote. After twenty eight days, the Lutz family fleed Amityville. They never returned for their personal possessions. End quote. Jody is left there, screaming and shaking uh, her head rapidly as the house shifts back to sellable condition. She stands there, shedding a tear before being pulled under the floorboard, leaving okay. her there where it okay. is. Hold on. Hold on. Back to the conversation. Is the house sentient or not? Can we establish this? I feel like it is. Like, it has to be, right? Yeah, like, it would have been way better that it's just like, instead of the Jeremiah Ketchum stuff, it'd be like, nah, this house is just sentient. Because, like, the original movies, it justifies it by like, oh, this house was built over the gateway to hell. Right. And I feel like they wanted to do that still with the house being sentient, but it was like, no, yeah, we need they to, like, to kind of add this other story where it's just like, mm, it, it, yeah, it's a bit goofy. Like, I, I don't think that other story needed it's, to be what it, what it I, turned out to be. I would rather have the sentient house and be goofy. Like Jody's running around and the, and they could have had it somewhere like Jody's like running around trying to warn them. And then the house is like arms are coming out of the walls, like trying to grab her and shit. Yeah, I agree. I agree. I I feel like the house being sentient would definitely work way better. It would, anyway. it would, remi- it would remind me like, I want like a movie version of that VHS segment that, uh, Radio Silence did like ten thirty one ninety eight. Oh God, I love that segment so much. Where it's like, so it's so funny that we get like young Radio Silence running around in there too. That's great. Yeah, like I kind of miss I, them acting. You know what I'm saying? I like just lot. recently rewatched that and realized it was them acting, and I was like, oh wait, I don't remember that. <laughs> yeah, like I kind of miss them acting, and like I know they would never act. Like I was actually talking to Matt about this, and like. I was like, dude, would you ever act again? He was like, fuck no. <laughs> he was like, he was like, that's a little harsh. Like, maybe eventually, but I don't know. Like, I was like, oh, okay, all right. <laughs> well, let's let's get him in an Amityville movie where the house is sentient. Oh yeah, seriously, man. Uh, but I got some movie facts for us here, so. Here's a couple of things. Ryan Reynolds chose not to become close with his on-screen children. He was not mean or rude to them, just very distant. So distant, in fact, that the children often confided to, um, to those on set that Ryan doesn't like us. <laughs> Ryan said that he did not want to fall in love with these kids. He did this so that uh, when George Lutz start, started changing, he would have no trouble easing into the verbal and physical abuse. Fair. I can see that. I could see like Ryan Reynolds just like really getting along with the kids and like it being hard to be mean to them on camera. 
Yeah, very true. Just before shooting began, the body of a fisherman who had been murdered washed up on bank of, on the bank of the river right near the main house. Jesus Whoa. fucking Christ. I, I nearly spit on my drink right there going, what the fuck? Holy shit. Okay. That that went from zero to a hundred. With the absolute quickness. God damn. Whew. Uh, MGM claimed the remake was based on new information uncovered during research of the original events, but George Lutz later claimed nobody ever spoke to him or his family about the project. When he initially heard it was underway, his attorney contacted the studio to find out what they had in the plan in the planning stages and express Lutz belief they uh, didn't have the right to proceed without his input. Three letters were sent and none was acknowledged. In June 2004, the studio filed a motion of declaration relief in federal court, insisting that they had the right to do a remake. And Lutz um, countersued, citing violations of their original contract and uh, that had continued through the years, followed following the release of the first movie. The case remained unsolved when Lutz died on May 8th, 2006. Damn. From from what I hear, George Lutz was not a very well-liked person. Um, there's a, yeah. a common belief um, that I believe has been verified through a couple sources that the house wasn't haunted at all, and he was just trying to profit on the fact that he lived at a place where like a great tragedy happened, which, right. like... Um, which like ironically, Ronnie DeFeo died like last year. I know, I heard. Didn't he die yeah. in jail? Yeah, he was still in jail at, for for the Amityville thing, I believe. Jesus Christ. That's nuts. Yeah. yeah. Uh there'll be the last one here. For the closet scene with the babysitter, the production crew had originally ordered in the uh in a rub a rubber door. After shooting the scene a few times, they decided it didn't look right, and they ultimately decided on using a real wooden door. So actress Rachel uh, Nichols <clears throat> had to bang her hands on the door for two days straight while filming the scene. Ouch! That sucks. Yeah, you should have done a rubber door. That way, like, you could have done the sentient house angle where it's like the doors are warping and whatnot even. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's true. Yeah. That would have oh, that would have been killer. Holy shit. But let us know what you think about the Amityville Horror 2005 specifically over on Twitter at night underscore pod. That's night with a K. Or let us know on our Discord channel or not channel, excuse me, our Discord server. Um, and we talk about a bunch of whole, a bunch of horror in there. So by all means, join us. That's going to be inside of our show notes. But before we conclude again, uh, the next film we'll be covering next week is Insidious, which I am very excited to cover. And I'm surprised we actually haven't covered it yet on this podcast. But before we even conclude, where can they find you, Reyna? Uh, you can find me on all social medias at JFC Doomblade. You can find my work being published pretty regularly at Bloody Disgusting, where I write about movies and video games mostly. And uh, you could check out my horror movie pod if you're so inclined uh, at Windsor Film Club. And then I'm launching Batshit Pod uh, this month in October. We're doing two episodes. Our first one's going to be Batman 89, the movie. And our second episode is going to be on the Court of Owls storyline by Scott Snyder. Oh, fuck yeah. So cool. 
definitely please by all means check that out. I'm going to have all of this stuff tagged inside of our show notes as well, but definitely check that out as well. And thank you so much, Raina, for joining me, especially on super short notice. I hit you up this morning and asked you to do this and I appreciate you being super down. So thank you so much. Yeah, not a problem. I'm always down to uh, armor up and be an honorary knight. Hell yeah. Love to hear it. And this was Nightlight, a horror movie podcast. I was one of your hosts, Prince, also known as Head Knight. With your help, we can reach more ghoulish nights with your recommendation to someone who would enjoy the show. If your podcast app allows you to rate our show, consider us giving us five stars as it honestly does help us out a ton. For extra horror-related content, head over to patreon.com slash nightlightpod. That's night with a K. And remember, everybody, don't forget your nightlight.